episode of the Championship Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, James Vickers. You can reach us on the show at Championship Pod on Twitter, and you can also follow my personal Twitter, which is at underscore James Vickers. Hi, I'm Andy Buckley-Taylor, representing Derby County on the podcast. I blog for the Derbyshire Times group of newspapers, and you can find me on Twitter at Booktaylor at Booktaylor64. And I am Benjamin Bloom, representing the Blue Monday podcast and Ipswich Town. You can get me on Twitter at Benjamin Bloom. Yeah, cheers for joining me today, guys. It's been a bit of a weird weekend in the championship with quite a lot of games sort of falling, uh, sort of being cancelled due to the weather. So I'm going to try and stay clear of making sort of any snow or anything like that related puns today because I know I'll get crucified for it. Um, but sort of just to talk sort of through the weekend's results, obviously we had the game on Friday night in Middlesbrough beating Leeds United 3-0, which, you know, Middlesbrough, they, uh, we've said on the podcast, bit of a hit and miss team, but, you know, they really turned it on on Friday night and put in three past Leeds. Then we went into yesterday, so quite a lot of games were, were called off. So the results yesterday, Preston won 3-1 away at Bolton, which I'll, I'll get to in a bit. Bristol City won 4-0 at home against Sheffield Wednesday. Derby County lost 2-1 at home to Fulham. Millwall and Sunderland played out a one-all draw. Nottingham Forest beat Birmingham 2-1. Um, we'll start with you first, Andy. Are there any sort of out of those results, uh, sort of games or, or results that sort of impressed you or, or were you sort of surprised by any of them? Uh, was I surprised by any of them? Um, I, I, I don't think there was any massive sort of surprises in any of the actual results. Um, I think I was a little surprised by how many Bristol City beat Sheffield Wednesday. I know that um, Sheffield Wednesday um, are having a bad season in comparison to their last two seasons, but Bristol City of late have slipped up and they've let some good leads go and uh, ended up drawing games. Um, it, did, it doesn't surprise me that Bristol City won, but 4-0 was uh, a bit of an eye-opener for me. Middlesbrough leads. Middlesbrough have had a bit of a, a mixed season, but they seem to now be making a bit of a, a charge towards the playoffs. And to me, they just totally outclassed um, Leeds on Friday night. Patrick Bamford getting a hat-trick for them. And uh, Preston, though, uh, away at Bolton, uh, winning 3-1. Uh, I, th- I think that's as a, a good a result as any. Now, I know Preston have been hovering in or about around the, the playoff zone um, pretty much all season, and Bolton have been struggling down near the bottom. But when a, when a, t- when a team like Bolton, who've had many years in the top flight, are needing points not to go back down again, um, it's, it's, it's not an easy fixture. And uh, to win 3-1 there, I think... Uh, but very, very good result for Preston. That will boost their confidence. And uh, I'm sure they'll be uh, believing in themselves that uh, they can make the playoffs. So for me, the, uh, the, the Preston uh, result away at Bolton is my result of the day. Oh, that's good to hear anyway. Yeah, we um, sort of just to touch on the Preston game. We first half had quite a lot of the ball, but didn't really sort of create too much in the way of chances and went behind completely against the runner play to sort of quite a scrappy goal from a corner. You know, we, we didn't clear it and ultimately paid the price uh, sort of on a sort of a goal mouth scramble. 
But second half, you know, much better. Shawnee Maguire's come back from injury. Uh, he's been out for four months. The I think the day he got announced that he was going to be out for a long time was the day that Preston played down at Ipswich, Ben, which I know is probably our worst result of the season. And we talked about that uh, when I went on the Blue Monday podcast the other week. So, you know, it's great to have him back now. He looks as sharp as ever. And it really does bode well for us sort of mounting now a serious push for the playoffs in the last sort of third of the season so you know hopefully he can stay fit and and sort of carry on where he left off before the injury um what about you ben are there any sort of results that jumped out to you um well Ipswich didn't lose um obviously they had the game postponed against Hull so I went along to Millwall Sunderland um I have to say on a snowy weekend Sunderland had the entire top tier of the away stand at Millwall so I was very impressed with their away support. They were very defensive, Sunderland, and kind of took the lead with a uh, sort of wonder goal short corner and smashed one in the top corner of Iedo. Um Millwall pegged them back in the second half for 1-1. Um, probably not enough for Sunderland at, at this stage of the season, but I thought, I thought they weren't terrible because obviously a lot of teams have turned them over. Um, Middlesbrough you say they're mounting a playoff um, challenge, but they could be one of these teams that just gets in on, you know, sheer name power without being that good a team, you know, having Pulis there and you know, people like Bamford, who Andy mentioned. Um, Preston, obviously, after their humbling home defeat to Ipswich um, the previous week, um, getting back there. I was um, waiting for you to mention that. <laughs> um, I agree with Andy on... Bristol City. I mean, it's good news for Ipswich because Ipswich have got Sheffield Wednesday on Tuesday. So hopefully that will have shortened the Wednesday fans' patience a bit more. Um, I know we're going to come on to Cottrell in a bit, but I, I just wanted to go back to Andy, really, because the, the standout result for me was obviously Fulham winning at Derby, where there's two narratives kind of getting proven, one of which Fulham just have been winning now for what seems to be maybe probably two or three months now it seems they've just been winning every week and Derby continuing to get further at seven points off second place now so that was my standout um, result and I, I don't know Andy if you want to come come in on that and maybe give us both sides Fulham's chances of second and where you think Derby are going to end up uh, well I mean I, I said to Russ Goldman that uh, I believe that uh, Fulham um are looking a good bet now for second place. They're certainly on a roll. They look the most organised team in the division. Um, they've got plenty of class. They they work well together overall as a team. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm tipping Fulham to possibly get that second place because I think Cardiff will drop a few points. Um, excellently managed this season by Neil Warnock. But it, they're just lacking that little bit of class. I think Aston Villa, although they're full of uh, you know multi-million pound signings, I don't think they've got the discipline. I've caught a few of their games. As regards ourselves, well, we are sitting five points clear of the seventh-place team. However, what is going to be very important is what happens midweek. We go away at QPR. A win really is a must because next Saturday uh, we travel to Forest, our local rivals, now irrespective of which team's winning and which team's losing, you know the old saying, form goes out of the window in local derbies. 
and I think they, they are going to be a, a lot bigger threat this time than they have in past fixtures. So it's time to stop that rot. And, uh, you know, if, if, if we slip up in both them games uh, and, and say Middlesbrough have a couple of wins, you know, we're sliding out of the playoff zone. I think we will just finish in the playoffs. But uh, time has now come where we must stop the lot. We've had a, a disappointing run of four or five games and uh, we need to get a grip. Yeah, I completely agree with you there, Randy. I think sort of around Christmas time, uh, I think one of the topics we had on the podcast, you sort of Derby especially were probably the sort of the team that had gone sort of the most under the radar in the league. And obviously last couple of weeks, you know, dropped a few points, but I do think that you'll have enough just to get into the playoffs and, you know, hopefully um, there's a spot there for Preston as well if we carry on the way we have been doing um, uh, to go on to our Tuesday night game, which we'll sort of cover more later on. We've got Bristol City at home and the next sort of few home games for us are going to be crucial for deciding the rest of our season. We've got Bristol City at home, Derby at home and Fulham at home in the space of, I think it's two or three weeks. So those three home games against sort of the, the three teams in the playoffs, you know, two or hopefully three wins out of them. And, you know, it can drastically change sort of the order of that sort of top six teams in and around the playoffs. So it's going to be crucial and sort of quite interesting to see, you know, what does happen over those the next couple of weeks um i just wanted obviously you touched on it a little bit ben the obviously steve cottrell was sat by birmingham yesterday um sort of the main talking point coming out of this weekend around the fixtures do you starting with you ben think that he should have been given until the end of the season or is this just what we've come to expect but with birmingham now sort of chopping and changing managers and not really letting a manager get a settled team and you know hopefully put a run together um, I've got the table in front of me, so 30 points, one below the line, and the two teams above them have got a game in hand. It seems exactly like the end of last season where they made a made a change right at the end to, you know, try and just get a little push. I think they won maybe two out of their last three games to to stay up and had a bit of a hand from Huddersfield, if I remember, resting lots and lots of players. Um, with regards to... Cotterill, he's he's a funny one because um, over a lot of years he's, he gets a bit derided. Unfortunately, any football manager with a heavily localised accent often gets derided. But he had that brilliant season taking Bristol City up, where they scored tons and tons of goals, and then was gotten rid of from there. And he strikes me a bit like I think the way Championship clubs see Cotterill is the same way Premier League teams see Warnock where they think he's good enough to get their team into the Premier League, i.e. Warnock. Cottrell's good enough to get his team into the Championship, but then, I don't know, maybe not quite good enough then at that level. Um, It doesn't surprise me. I saw tweets this week, I'm sure you've both seen them, about the signing-on fees and the wage bills and and what a mess that is. Um, Big, heavy link with Gary Monk, but Gary Monk's not your quick fix type guy he's your leave him there for a while and you know build up a style of play type appointment so it'd be very very interesting to see what happens there Ipswich going there at the end of the end of the month but um doesn't doesn't look great for them I can see them going down 
Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, you can really sort of look over the last couple of years with Birmingham, but, you know, ever since they sat Gary Rowett when they were 17th, um, just before Christmas in, in 2016, you know, ever since then, it's been a, a, you know, a downward spiral for them really. And, you know, they've gone for, I think it's three managers now in that time. And like you said, you know, linked with Gary Monk, he's not that typical, you know, quick fix manager. He is a manager that benefits and it's Birmingham, you know, have been a, a prime example of not allowing their managers to have enough time. So I think if they do go for Monk, there's an eye there for, you know, a rebuilding process down in League One if they do go down. Um, I think he's one of the better managers that's available out there at the moment. So if he does come in, it'd be, you know, good to see how he gets on, you know, over the last sort of third of the season. But I do think that they're in serious danger, you know, of dropping down. They had a little sort of purple patch about a month ago where they got a couple of wins together. But ever since then, you know, they've been sliding down the table again. And they're really a team sort of in the same situation as Sunderland really where you know they're sort of off the field is a bit of a mess as well and that sort of translates onto the pitch and you know there could be a case this season of you know two of the sort of quote biggest teams in the in the championship in real danger of going down into league one and you know that sort of makes for a better watch next season in league one but obviously for those two clubs relegation would be a disaster but you know, at the same time, I say it with Preston when we went down, it was a great opportunity for us looking back retrospectively now to clear out the deadwood and the high earners from the from the football club and, you know, almost have a fresh start. Um, that sort of, obviously, you mentioned it there, Ben, and I'll come to you first on this, Andy, because I think it was you who sort of brought up that you wanted to talk about this. We mentioned there that, you know, Birmingham have all these high wage earners and, and things like that going on at the club. Obviously, you wanted to talk about financial fair play. Is that something that the league needs to look at in regards to Birmingham, or is there, you know, a, a wider issue sort of a, a, a sort of talking point here? I think the whole concept of it needs looking at. I mean, I do believe there should be some kind of financial control because we want to avoid the situations that uh, happen in, say, like Portsmouth, who overspent and uh, dropped through the division because of their poor investments. But it's been quite topical recently um, because of the uh, the Leicester City fine was finally resolved. They're going to pay three million pounds, and it, it all stems from let's say a questionable sponsorship deal with Tracebella and uh, a company that has no website and no phone number. You know, eyebrows were raised, and. Uh, Obviously, questions were asked because I believe this um, so-called company sponsored them to the tune of £11 million. Now, there's, there's rules in financial fair play that says sponsorship must be of marketable value. And that's taking into account, you know, the, uh, the level of football that you played at. But um, Leicester have been uh, fined £3 million. So obviously they breach financial fair play. And I'm not picking on Leicester because there's other clubs that's done it too. But that's a drop in the ocean to a side that's uh, holding their own in the Premier League. Queen's Park Rangers went to appeal and uh, was it a £40 million fine for breaching uh, financial fair play when they last went up? And, 
you know, this is this is like three years later that the, the find this, and they're now um, taking it to the court of arbitration and to sport, and it, it's getting beyond a joke now. I think Bournemouth have also been fined, but the point is, when a team gets fined, if they're promoted, they don't care, but all the teams who break it but remain in the championship go through a transfer embargo. Nottingham Forest went through one. Fulham went through one. And the point is, certain teams are sticking to the rules. Certain teams aren't. Certain teams are accepting the punishment and other teams aren't. So I think the, the, whole, um, the whole point of financial fair play, well, I mean, people are just finding loopholes. And I think the, the, the way to regulate football finance now has got to be proof that you have the money to make the signings. Because there's, there's quite a few teams in the championship that's got some wealthy owners. Bristol City owners very rich. Our owners very rich. But, you know, we're playing by the rules. In fact, such as our owner is playing by the rules, Gary Rowett hasn't even had a, a net spend because of the past spending by Steve McLaren, Paul Clement. Nigel Pearson, he's been restricted in who he can sign. You know, we need some consistency. We need teams um, sticking to the rules. But but what is difficult is if the team gets promoted, the FA won't enforce the fine. Um, they say that's down to the uh, the football league, and of course, the team's not a member of the football league at that time. I don't know what you guys think, but. Uh, the situation's uh, it's quite farcical. I mean, I'll be very interested to look at Wolves' um, accounts for this season when they're released in December. I'm not saying they definitely breached financial fair play, but uh, they spent a lot of money. But anyway, what do you guys think? Yeah, obviously, you brought the Wolves point there at the end as well. And there was the article that I linked you both before we sort of started recording today of, you know, there's a few clubs that have gone to sort of the FA and the Football League asking them to, you know, have a look at the Wolves accounts. And, you know, they've they've brought in players like Ruben Neves for 15 million. And there was quite a sort of a true quote on that, that basically, you know, a 15 million pound player is going to be on 15 million pounds players' wages. So it will be interesting, like you said, when sort of December comes around to see, you know, exactly what they've spent this season and their sort of overall net spend. But, you know, like you said, again, if they get promoted to the Premier League, you know, and even if they do get fined, for example, you know, it's it's absolutely nothing to them really, you know, the the amount of money that's floating around in the game nowadays. So I do think definitely there needs to be, you know, tighter regulations over it. Um, you know, a team to go on to Preston, for example, you know, we live within our means. We sort of make our living off, you know, buying young, hungry players and sort of selling them on for a, for a profit. Jordan Hugill, you know, sold in January, a great example of that. We bought him for, you know, a nominal fee and sold him for nine million to West Ham. And there was obviously disappointment from the fans that we didn't then reinvest that money. But you can't have sort of the core of our squad on, say, a set salary, which I believe ours is capped anyway. And then bring in a player for, say, £9 million because, you know, they're going to demand, you know, a wage that reflects a £9 million player. So it is sort of frustrating when you see the likes of Wolves in the division, obviously, being able to go out and spend that money and not have any sort of implications on it. And then we're 
sort of bringing in players from the League of Ireland, for example. So definitely something needs to be done. Um, it'd be interesting to get your opinions on it as well, Ben. Ipswich and Preston been sort of in the sort of the same mould, not having the richest owners and sort of bringing in sort of younger, hungry players and then developing them. Um, what would be your thoughts on it? Oh God, so much to say. Um, I agree with much that's been said before. Just a quick one. Ipswich actually do have a rich owner, but he's a very tight rich owner and um, he has put the money in before and had his fingers burned by Roy Keane and Paul Jewell and um, kind of hides behind the FFP a little bit to say, well, look, we can't can't do that. On Wolves, I think they've been quite clever, more so than other clubs, because a lot of those players are on loan and um, there's no actual transfer fee. I appreciate they have to pay big wages and whatnot. And I think the way they've done it, I think they'll be okay because Costa was last year and Cavallero, Neves was this year. And I think people like Bolly, Jota, Bonatini were all loans um i'm sure some very clever accountant type people will do loan deals with big bonuses if they go up that are payable after they've left the championship i'm I'm sure there'll be ways around it the one that really annoyed me was bournemouth because um bournemouth completely broke the rules they've got uh 10,000 12,000 capacity correct me if i'm wrong or that and the entire country's media very lazily said oh you know, fairy story at Bournemouth. And it's like, no, they've been spending a lot of money for a lot of years. They had rich owners. And as Andy pointed out, the fine is 7.6 million for um, Bournemouth. Well, that's it's meaningless. If it, the, the fine has to deter the punishments. It's a bit like rich people parking their cars on double yellow lines and going into shops and not caring about the 60 quid fine because they can afford it it's the fine has got to got to mean something and i mean the leicester one's even more ridiculous because they've obviously gone on to win the premier league and three million pounds is um you know to you and i it's an astronomical amount of money but to a, a you know multi multi million pound organization it's it's really not so um i agree with andy's point that if you don't get promoted you seem to get really screwed by it so something seems to be working there but it just seems to need to be more of a deterrent and i think what you get as well is you get the parachute clubs gambling on sort of three-year plans where they know they're going to get three years worth of money all the contracts are um tied up for three years and whatnot and i don't know there's a there's a big kind of gambling um type vibe amongst us you look at aston villa if aston villa don't go up before their last parachute payment comes through they are going to be absolutely all over the place as well because i think they've got five of the division's top 10 earners there but again they may have done their contracts properly i I think it's very very difficult to police uh, right throughout um football the top teams have always spent the most money i mean Everyone says about Alex Ferguson, I think he broke the British transfer record five times or something. Um, so the top teams are always going to spend the most money. But um, my conclusion is if there's going to be um, fines and punishments, they have to they have to mean something. But it's going to take a lot more intelligent person to figure out how to do that than me. So um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned the the Aston Villa one as as an example. Sort of to go a little off topic, we had um, 
a draw with them the other week down at Villa Park and you know after the game there was a lot of angry Aston Villa fans on social media and one of them you know at the time it looks like a silly tweet to put but it just echoes your point Ben uh, and someone sent me it uh, the other day so he tweeted saying does it feel good to wreck a team's promotion chase you do realize that if we don't go up we could go into liquidation don't you and you know at, at the time you know you think that's uh sort of a bitter person on Twitter after, you know, expecting to beat Preston. But it really does just hit the nail on the head that there is a lot of gambling sort of going on in the division when it comes to, you know, trying to get around financial fair play and, you know, three-year plans, like you said. So Aston Villa, I think, desperately this season, you know, need to to get up for their own sake, really. Obviously, everyone wants to get into the Premier League, but, you know, it's, it's a massive gamble that they've taken with the wages that they, you know, are paying out and, you know, next season could be disastrous for them if they don't manage to go up. Um, I think you had another point you wanted to raise, uh, Andy. So, yeah, feel free. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the only way from now on is, you know, the um, promoted sides who breach the regulations, they go in the Premier League. As long as they stay in there, they're going to be unpunished. But I think the time has come now where as by if they've broken the rules, a lot of these teams do get relegated. So um, maybe on relegation, when they come back down, just give them a points deduction. You broke the rules. You're now going to pay the penalty. Because if you, if you think back, you know when Leicester went down to League One? Well, they went into administration. And of course, then there was no points deduction. So they escaped that. Again, it's, it's not having a dig at Leicester because that was the rules at the time. But teams that... Um, now go into administration, get a points deduction. So I, I think now, breaching financial fair play, if you get promoted and you subsequently get relegated in a season or seasons after, you know, it, time has come now for them to uh, face a points deduction. Yeah, I think that's a you know great idea that you know the the fines nowadays, as we've said, there's that much money floating around the division that you know teams don't really sort of bat an eyelid at it. But if there is something, you know, there like a points deduction, for example, or transfer embargoes or something like that, it'll make things sort of teams think twice before going and doing it. But, you know, obviously there's there's always a way around it with, with teams, you know, Leicester, they're a great example going into administration to, to avoid the points deduction. So it's a topic that, you know, you can talk about for ages and I'm sure everyone's got their own opinion on it as well. So, you know, it will be especially sort of the Villa situation to see how they come out of next season or the end of this season going into next, depending on what division they're in. Um, but sort of to move on to the next topic I wanted to talk about today, we touched on it earlier in the season. Obviously, there's been quite a lot of movement within the division, players coming and going. And I just wanted to get your thoughts, really. There's obviously a lot of quality in the championship these days. About 10 years ago, you know, people looked at championship football and just associated it with, you know, kick and chase and you know physical teams and and not a lot of quality and obviously now with the the influence of Wolves like for example bringing in foreign players and a lot more talent into the, the division um who sort of or you can name a couple if you want to who do you guys think is the the best player in the division um and sort of to add on as well I know I hadn't put this on the notes but which player do you look at in the division and think that over the last year or two they've been sort of the most improved player in the division or they've they've really adapted and sort of settled into it? Um, if you wanted to start first on this, Ben. Oh, God. I can't feel down this. So, um, obviously, Bolly and Neves are 
ridiculous for Wolves. They're Premier League players way out of the league. Uh, Cardiff, I always like. Bamba um, takes responsibility. He's not a, not a clever player, but, um, it, you know, kind of you need that player in your team and roles always in midfield. Villa, you could name about 10. I did watch John Terry very closely the other day. I went to Fulham versus um, Villa and... God, he must have been good five years ago, is all I can say. Uh, Fulham, I think, have probably the two best um, non-Wolves players, Kenny, Sessignon. Um, I don't know if Andy agrees with me. I've always enjoyed Keo when I've seen Derby play. Um, looking down, uh, Sheffield United, Fleck and Duffy, very good. Uh, Preston, James Pearson, I think. Uh, Brentford yeah. have got a cracker as well. Woods, the centre midfield for... Um, for Brentford is a is a great player. Um, Ipswich have a very good goalie, but we'll keep that under our wraps. Um, as much <laughs> as it pains me to say, Madison for Norwich is a brilliant player, and I hope he continues to play well and is sold. So <laughs> to um, maybe damage their chances a little bit. Um, and then you go down further and further. Um, yeah, I would say Kearney, Bolly, Neves, Sessignon, probably those four. Yeah, and what about you, Andy? Are there any sort of that you'd like to highlight? Uh, the, the two that really stand out for me, first I'll go for the Norwich guy, James Madison. Um, against us, absolutely around the midfield. I've seen, as I've gone through looking at various championship games, looks to be a very, very talented player indeed. Um, needs to just change uh, maybe... His actions on the field a little bit, but as, as ability-wise, he's up there amongst the best in the division. But for me, um, if I was going out and signing a championship player today, um, and I think this one would cost in the region of a, in today's uh, transfer market of about fifty million, is Ryan Sessignon because he's a youngster. He's still young. He's, he's young English talent. He can play at left back. He can play left wing. Um, he's comfortable on the ball, he's creative, he's got an eye for goal, he's got pace. And uh, even like I was speaking to Russ Goldman and, I, and what he pointed out to me, and I totally agree, is the fact that even if he's having a quiet game, he pops up and scores. And I, I, was, saying, I was saying to Russ that Fulham need to get promoted this year because if they don't Sessignon ain't going to be playing for them next season um, there's, there's rumours that Spurs have all already been watching him and uh, are, are preparing a, a large bid but uh, he's a standout player for me it'll be interesting when they do the end of season PFA awards because surely he you know is a shoe in for the all-star team and possibly young player of the year but uh, Sessignon and um, Madison stand out for me. Tom Kearney is another one. He absolutely ran the show yesterday against us. Um, whether he would command anywhere near as much as a transfer fee, I don't know, because isn't he now edging into his late 20s? Um, but yeah, they, they're, they're the standout players to me. Yeah, I completely agree with the, the players you mentioned there. I think Sessignon and... Uh, it seems every week we're sort of singing his praises on this podcast and, you know, he scored again Andy, um, in the Derby game and he seems each week to get better and better. Obviously, the, the, the Wolves players that you touched on, Ben, you know, 
unbelievable talents and, you know, there should be nowhere near this division, could easily go into sort of, I'd say, at least 10 or 15 of the Premier League sides and, you know, not look out of place. And then sort of go like you did Ben further down, obviously Preston, Ben Pearson for us, absolutely fantastic. And it's it's so evident when he's not playing that, that there's that big hole in the midfield that we just don't have another sort of player who can come in and do the same job as him. So I think if we lost him, that'd be a, a major spanner in the works for us. James Madison at Norwich. I watched the the Norwich Ipswich game the other week and he was, you know, absolutely fantastic in that game. And I do think that maybe over the summer, um, you know, potentially he could be looking for a move to a Premier League team. And, you know, nowadays it's, it's quite nice as sort of a fan of the division to, to see all this talent in the league. You know, you've got your players like John Terry and, and people like that as well who are still fantastic defenders. And, you know, compared to where the league was sort of 10 years ago, it, it's great and a sort of a really good advert for English football in general, that there's so much talent and, and big teams in the division these days. So it, you know, it bodes well for the future of English football and the championship as a whole. Um, but to move on, um, obviously we've got midweek games coming up now. Um, we'll start with you first, Dandy. You've got a sort of a tricky looking away trip to QPR um, on Tuesday night. How do you see the game going? What would be your score prediction? Um, and sort of just give us a, a little overview on it, really. Yeah, it's a tricky game. I, I mean, I think the important thing is when we go there is that we don't concede first because we know what happens. If you play a Holloway team and you concede first, he puts 11 men behind the ball, parks the bus, and it <laughs> becomes very difficult to score. This, this, this will be the test of character game for me. This will give a pointer to how the season's going to pan out. Um, we've, uh, we've had a, a barren spell lately, but uh, if, we, if we can go to QPR and get a result of some kind, you know, it, it, it could be the uh, kickstart to get the season back on track again. Um, so it's a tricky fixture. They've, um, they, they haven't been battered by teams in the uh, top six. I think Villa won 2-1 there. I think Fulham beat them 2-1. I think the, the, the only battering, real batterings they've had this season has been against Forest with a loss 4-0 away and 5-2 at home. And uh, I'm not confident that we, we're going to win by three, you know, two, two, three, four goals. But uh, I'll, I'll take a scrappy win because a win is a win. And uh, there's a couple of games recently, the Leeds and Reading games, we should have won, but albeit we didn't because of stupid errors. So number one priority is just to get three points back on the board. And uh, that makes our place in the top six uh, a little bit more secure again. And I, I'm expecting, you know, a 1-0 or a 2-1 win there. Um, not presuming, but uh, I'm hopeful uh, that you know that's going to be the outcome. It'll be it'll be interesting to see um, what side Gary Rowett starts. Um, for me, Casey Palmer now. He's only started one game. He's had a, a few games where he's come on a sub, but he, he scored two goals and he's brought a bit of a bit of energy into the team. And. Uh, he came on a sub yesterday and was our best player on the pitch. So, uh, you know, hopefully Gary's uh, going to look at that and uh, come away from Shepherd's Bush uh, with three points. 
Yeah, obviously, big game for you on Tuesday night. Is it sort of, as you said, about getting three points no matter what? So looking down your fixtures, the next two games look to be quite tricky. So obviously there's a chasing pack now building up of about sort of four or five teams to get into the playoffs. Is is this game the one that you'd highlight as one of the most crucial now over the next coming weeks to to sort of keep you on the right track and keep you in the in the playoffs? Um, yeah, it's, it's very important to me. I mean, before we before we hit the the blip, we feared no one, and we looked like we we could go out there and beat anyone. You know, um, we looked unbeatable. We I think we've had sixteen clean sheets. Teams couldn't score against us, but in the past few games we've been uh, we've had more leaks than uh, Wales. But uh, you know, it, this. This is a big, big game now. Um, if we lose and we go on to lose next weekend, you know, it, it, it's, it's difficult to uh, get out of a, a slump. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that Raoult will have the players fired up for the Tuesday night and uh, we'll be coming over three points. But, you know, that said, uh, nothing's a given in this division. Yeah, um, and to move on to you, Ben, uh, a tricky-looking game away at Sheffield Wednesday. You know, they've been quite hard to beat, even though they, it's a silly thing to say, considering they got beat 4-0 yesterday. But, you know, the new manager's come in. He's, he sort of seems to have steadied the ship somewhat. How do you sort of see the game going against them? And what would be your sort of prediction for, for a result on it? Um, my prediction would have been a lot different had Ipswich played Hull on Saturday because we've seen quite a few times this season with three games in a week, particularly when you go home, away, home, McCarthy resting a lot of his players for the game in the middle and then bringing them back for the home game. So being there was no game on Saturday, Ipswich have had 10 days rest and although they've still got some long-term Injury absences um, should be fairly fit and healthy. Um, like I said, Chipper Wednesday losing 4-0 at Bristol City can't can't do any harm. Um, I know from speaking to Louis, who you have on here, um, Bannon is unlikely to play and Hooper is unlikely to play. So maybe it can work in Ipswich's favour that uh, the extra extra well seven days break they've had compared to um to Sheffield Wednesday and some of those uh injuries it's it's always difficult with McCarthy because he goes into lots of press conferences saying oh I don't care what the context is I'll always take a point and a draw away from home so that would make you think that um he you know doesn't see a wounded wounded Sheffield Wednesday and goes out to get them but I think um I think we're actually defending quite well, despite um, despite there being only a couple of wins in the last six. I think we've only conceded four in the last eight, which is obviously four clean sheets and um, four games with only only one goal against. So probably probably not going to be a lot in it. It'll either either be one nil to Wednesday, one nil to Ipswich, or one one. I would I would suspect, but it'd be nice to see. Mick go for it and in the same way Andy was saying about um, Derby it could deteriorate quite quickly into a lot of nothing games for the last 10 games 
Uh, we're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday now. So there's five games very quickly. Be nice to at least 1.5, 1.6 points per game through all of that and still, you know, be in some contention of the top 10 because a couple of defeats and your, your season's finished already. But yeah, normal, normal Ipswich, tight game. Um, either side will win by one, but I can't tell you who that's going to be. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned there, obviously... Ipswich are in sort of that area that Preston tend to be in coming into this stage of the season now. Obviously, 18 points above the relegation zone. So sort of barring a disastrous collapse, you know, no danger, no danger of going down. Nine points off the playoffs. How do you see the rest of the season panning out for you? And is there sort of a target? Obviously, the playoffs would be sort of ideal. How how do you see the, the rest of the season going and what would be your sort of hopes for the sort of the last third of the season? it's a difficult one to answer. It's all going to be dominated by McCarthy's contract being up at the end of the season. And is he staying or is he going as soon as it's mathematically, you know, I mean, it's pretty well unlikely that they're going to get into the playoffs anyway. And without wanting to sound too pessimistic, even if Ipswich get in the playoffs, they're not going to win the playoffs. There's a lot of better. There's another tier of team. Um, either the teams with the star players, Villa, Fulham, Derby, uh, Bristol City, uh, Middlesbrough. So I wouldn't count Bristol City in that. Or the teams that are actually very good teams with unity, like Bristol City, Sheffield United, Preston, who you'd all think would, you know, would finish or should be finishing above Ipswich. So um, you would like to see some kind of succession planning from McCarthy if he is going to go set up a set up a system, play the players that are going to be here next season. If, if that, Even if that means Selena, who's been great on loan from Man City, maybe stepping down to the bench, he's not going to be here next season. Let's let's put someone else in. But really, um, it would take a hell of a run of victories and a, a lot of points for it not to just become the Mick McCarthy, will he sign his new contract uh, or won't he? Um, and... One of the most interesting things will be what happens when the season ticket renewals are announced, what are they going to do with the prices? And, you know, it's very, very hard to sell a product um, for another year, you know, product that ends next May when they can't tell us who will be in charge of said product. Um, so all, all a bit of a muddle. Hopefully, like I said, there'll be lots of, Lots of points and lots of goals um, to distract away from that. But my fear is a win, a defeat, a draw, a win, a defeat, and you get to six, seven games to go and there's nothing to play for and all we're going to have to talk about is McCarthy. Um, that's, that's, my, that's my fear. But it'd be nice to get up to 9-4-10th and finish around there um, points-wise. So, yeah. Yeah, and to, to go on to Preston's game, um, one of the sort of first of three massive home games coming up. We've got Bristol City at home on Tuesday night. You know, they're coming off the back of a 4-0 home win against Sheffield Wednesday. We're coming off a great 3-1 win away at Bolton. And these are the games really that, you know, the players don't need any sort of pre-match talks to get up for. This is going to be, you know, two teams that like to play attacking football sort of going at it. So I can see it being quite a high-scoring game. I think the only slight concern I have, you know, we've got the second best away record in the league, but it's at home where we've struggled. We've not had many defeats at home. Um, I think, obviously, the Ipswich one last time out was 
sort of bitterly disappointing off the back of two great draws um, with Wolves and Aston Villa. So, you know, the home form, if we are to get in the playoffs, needs to be righted pretty quickly. Um, there's not a lot wrong there. Um, I think it's more so, or more that are the way we sort of set up favours playing away from home, you know, on the counter-attack and hitting teams for speed, whereas teams will come to Deepdale and expect us to press onto them, which doesn't suit us. So Bristol City, you know, over the last few years, they've been one of the teams that, you know, no matter how good or how bad we're playing, we always seem to get a result against them. And, you know, they must be sick of playing us because we, we always seem to find a way to beat them. So I think... Us playing them is is come at the right time, which seems weird to say for you know a team in direct competition with you in to get into the playoffs. I think the way they will come out and attack us will suit us down to a T, and I think you know we will hit them on the break and at least get one or two. But you know, I, as long as we get the three points, I'm not bothered how it happens. So if I was to go for a score, I'd like to say we'd probably shade it two one or or maybe something like that, a goal sort of either way. Um, but it's going to be a great game of football to watch. It'll probably be one of the sort of the better games of football at Deepdale this season. I think the Fulham game, obviously, will be another good one to watch and when Derby come as well. So this game for us is absolutely crucial with shaping how the rest of the season's going to go. You know, if, if we get beat, we're six points outside the playoffs again. If we win, you know, depending on other results, we could actually go into the playoffs. So, Massive game, really looking forward to it. Um, and, you know, hopefully I'm on next weekend talking about, you know, two great Preston wins back to back. So fingers crossed. Um, and, you know, that's all I can hope for. But we're playing great football at the moment. And, you know, I've got every reason to be optimistic that we can get the job done and, and sort of catch the the playoff sort of teams, you know, before sort of games start running out. Um, but with that, we're out of time. If you two want to let everyone know where they can find you or any projects that you're involved in, um, now would be a good time. Uh, Andy Buckley Taylor on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at booktaylor64. I uh, do a blog for the Derbyshire Times group of newspapers and it's usually tweeted, uh, the link's usually tweeted by Belper News. And I'm Benjamin Bloom at Benjamin Bloom on Twitter uh, three times a week for the Bloom Monday podcast on Acast and iTunes. Also on YouTube, uh, reviewing most Ipswich games and other games. If you're a Millwall fan, you like me. If you're a Reading fan, you don't. Um, that's the way it seems to roll when we go and see those two teams. Um, but yeah, give us a follow, give us a um, subscribe on YouTube and a thumbs up to any of the videos. Yeah, definitely check out uh, Ben's Blue Monday uh, podcast as well. I was on it the other week and had a great time as usual on it. So definitely check that out. Um, you can follow me on my personal Twitter, which is at underscore James Vickers, where I mainly tweet about obviously Preston North End and a bit of German football as well. So if you like either of those, definitely give me a follow. And you can reach us on the show at Championship Pod, where every Monday the link for the uh, sort of the latest episodes tweeted out. There's a lot of sort of polls and that kind of thing on there throughout the week. Um, so, yeah, definitely sort of give us a follow on there and then you won't miss the show. Um, but, yeah, cheers for joining me today, guys. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always and enjoy having both of you on. Um, hopefully we'll get you on soon and, uh, you know, we're all sort of singing our team's phrases again. But, yeah, cheers for that. <laughs>